0: Gracious God, I pray now that as we come to your scripture, that you would help us by your spirit to pay attention to you. And I pray that as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts ready to receive them and respond. And God, if I say anything that's not from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. Most of all, I pray that we would leave this place different people than we were when we came in because of who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. My name is Mike, and it is a privilege to be here together. The lectionary this week puts us in Mark chapter 7, so if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open to it. We're looking at those 23 verses which you can find in the Pew Bible, page 842, or, of course, Google Mark chapter 7, and it'll take you right there. No excuse not to follow along. You take one look around at the world that we live in, and it's pretty clear to see that things are pretty messed up. Afghanistan and Haiti, hurricanes and pandemics, political polarization and masks and vaccines, and so much yelling and so little listening. As the Hebrew Bible says, there is nothing new under the sun. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking and healing and teaching and dying, and rising. There were zealots, and Pharisees, abusive Roman occupiers, and abusive religious systems. There was leprosy, and crucifixion, and while things were still pretty messed up. And in the midst of all of this, we've got an argument in the Gospel of Mark about hand-washing, which would seem ludicrous and insignificant, except we live in a world where my kids' public school teachers make them wash their hands literally like a thousand times a day. And even still, in the grand scheme of things, hand-washing, really? That's what the Pharisees want to pick a fight with Jesus about? Of course, it's not really about hand-washing. Just like today, it's not really about masks or vaccines or politics. What we'll see today is that Jesus has a unique ability to see both the presenting issue, the thing that's at hand, the symptom that's on the surface, as well as the thing behind the thing. And he has a unique ability to deal with them both. We'll see that Jesus continues to peel back the layers one after another after another until what's left is a problem that only he can solve. So let's look at Mark chapter seven together. First, the presenting issue. Mark tells us that Jesus' disciples are breaking with tradition, and oh man, is it dangerous to mess with people's traditions. My wife, Jenny, and I, probably like many of you, grew up with cereal for breakfast. How many of you grew up with cereal for breakfast? Cereal, after all, is quick and cheap. And let's be honest, even if it's not healthy, it's delicious. (laughs) And grown-ups and children of all ages can get it for themselves. Especially, we found that if we poured a glass of milk the night before, and if we put it on the bottom shelf of the refrigerator, we didn't fill it too full, and closed the refrigerator, and went to bed, we found that even our three-year-old could get himself breakfast in the morning by himself earning us an extra 10 precious minutes of sleep. Cereal in our house became a habit, even, dare I say it, a tradition. It was like World War III when we stopped buying cereal and switched to breakfast burritos a couple years ago so that our three boys could get just a little bit of protein in their bellies before going off to school. And that is just cereal with children who were like three and seven and nine at the time. That's not even close to what happens when someone touches our religious traditions. And that's what's going on here. Jesus' disciples, Mark tells us right here in verse 2, we're sometimes eating with unclean hands, and in doing so, we're disregarding the customs of the Jewish elders. So let's talk about hand-washing. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. This is a parenthetical, and Mark writes... For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now, this is an aside for Mark. It's a a parathetical. He's explaining the situation, what's about to happen for his non-Jewish audience, who might not have understood why washing hands after coming back from the marketplace was such a big deal. You see heading to the marketplace would have exposed somebody, a Jew, to at least the possibility of partial ceremonial uncleanliness. And so, washing hands in a ceremonial clean vessel would have taken care of that, ensuring ceremonial cleanliness. Now, it is good to wash your hands. Let me just say that again for the record, please. Wash your hands, use hand sanitizer. Etc. do all the things that we've learned are good for us. But in this instance, it's a matter of ceremonial cleanliness. And dare I say it, ceremonial cleanliness is a good thing. And it's good that the Jews took the law seriously and cleanliness seriously. But if you look right here at verse 5, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? That right there is very important but eat with defiled hands. Because you see, in this instance, the hand-washing isn't even directly in the Old Testament law. It's a man-made interpretation and application of laws regarding ceremonial cleanliness. And so for the Pharisees, this isn't really about the law. And this is the first layer Jesus peels back. It's a test for Jesus. So presenting issue, you've got ceremonial cleanliness and hand-washing. Peel back one layer, and you've got a test for Jesus. The Pharisees, they want to know where Jesus, as a popular teacher, stands on issues on which their tradition commented, such as washing hands, so that they can evaluate for themselves his teaching accordingly. They want to know if Jesus is on the same page as them on what could be termed non-essentials. The Pharisees are, as the saying goes, majoring in the minors, and they want to know, Jesus, are you on the same page as us when it comes to this human, man-made tradition? It's going to determine whether we think we can trust you on some of the other stuff. Y'all, we often hold on to our traditions as tightly as anything, don't we? Every people, every family, and every church has traditions. We're Anglicans, for crying out loud. We have loads of them. And I love them. Many have good theological reasons. In fact, in our tradition, most of them do. Some of them are matters of personal preference. Or perhaps they just make us feel better. Some traditions really don't serve any purpose at all outside of, we've always done it this way. Oh, careful now, see, right? It's good to pay attention to these things. It's good to pay attention to the purposes our traditions serve. The question here, though, isn't really about hand washing, right? It's about how Jesus will or will not uphold The traditions and the preferences of the Pharisees. And then Jesus peels back yet another layer. Look with me here, verse 6. You hypocrites! As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Look, You can go through the motions and still be far from God. You can do the right things and still be far from God. You can do them for the right reasons and still be far from God. And now we're getting somewhere. We're starting to get to the thing behind the thing here, right? Mark starts by describing the question, which really is an ambush, that the Pharisees ask of Jesus about hand-washing. He peels back one layer and identifies in verse 5 that really they want to know where Jesus stands in relation to the teaching of the elders. And then, and then, Jesus peels back yet another layer. It's not really ultimately about the tradition. There's something else behind it. This is what I like to call the thing behind the thing. The problem isn't that we don't do the right things, although that's certainly part of it. The problem is, as verse 6 puts it, a heart that is far from God. Friends, the problem is us. Now allow me to geek out for just a moment about the original Greek text, is that okay? There's one word that shows up 11 times between verses 7 and 23. Now, you might be looking down at your Bibles and say, I don't remember that sort of redundancy. And you'd be right, because it doesn't turn up quite the same way in our English translations. That word is anthropon. Anyone want to guess what anthropon means? human. We get the word anthropology from it, which is the study of humanity. Now, it gets translated here in our English Bibles a couple different ways, sometimes as person, sometimes as man. But in the original Greek, anthropon piles up time after time after time after time, 11 times in those verses, And I think Mark does it on purpose. One commentator says it like this. The basic problem Christians should be concerned about, Mark seems to be saying through the striking pile-up of the word anthropos, is not how or what one should eat. Now listen to this. But the internal corruption of the anthropos that chokes the life out of tradition, turns it into an enemy of God, and blinds those afflicted by it to their own culpability for the evils that trouble the world. The problem is us. The problem is a human heart that takes a good tradition and makes it an idol or a litmus test. And then Jesus takes it a step further still. The human heart, in all its brokenness, It doesn't just warp tradition, but it corrupts our very relationship with God and others. Jesus says in verse 16, there's nothing that comes out of a man that defiles him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. As Proverbs 15 puts it, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, And Jesus doesn't just stop there. In verse 17, the text tells us that Jesus has withdrawn from the crowds with his disciples. And then he explains further to them, starting here in verse 20. Follow along with me. Jesus says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. And You might be thinking at this point, well, that's not me having committed murder, adultery. He goes on, oh, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I'll say it again, the problem isn't really tradition. It's a fallen and broken Anthropos. It's us. Our hearts are desperately broken. It's easy to point at the problem out there. Y'all, we're the problem. The prayer of confession in our prayer book's daily morning prayer says it like this. Maybe you know this prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, We have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws. We've left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord... Have mercy upon us. When we follow the devices and desires of our own hearts, we end up going through the motions, but still far from God. But not just that. For out of the heart of men and women come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, Slander, pride, foolishness. Friends, followers of Jesus are first and foremost citizens of heaven. But that list that I just read off of Jesus' words, that's where we end up when we follow the devices and desires of our own hearts. All these actions ought not be. The actions of one whose citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Now, Mark leaves it right there. That's it. That's where he stops. He doesn't offer a solution yet, just a sickness or a description of the sickness that dwells inside me and you. And he describes the fruit of that sickness. He names the reality of our brokenness, our not good enoughness. He diagnoses the human heart and then he leaves us in the tension of it. This description, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, coveting, wickedness, deceit, slander, pride, foolishness, it describes all of us, all of us. As John writes in his first letter, if anyone says he is without sin, he is a liar. And so what are we to do with this? I don't know about you, but man, that's some bad news. I'm feeling a little bit heavy. What are we to do with this? I'd like to offer three quick things here as we draw to a close, if that's okay. First, we've got to do the work. We've got to do the work. We've got to peel back the layers of our own hearts. We've got to learn to pay attention to the thing behind the thing in our own words and lives and actions and hearts. We've got to do that work. That's the first thing. Second thing is we we need to acknowledge our own brokenness and repent. That's the invitation of the gospel. It's for us to to name our own wickedness and brokenness, the sickness of our own hearts, and, and repent of it. To turn around and change direction. So first, do the work. Peel back the layers in your own heart. Pay attention to the thing behind the thing. And second, repent. Turn around and change direction. And third, and ultimately, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's setting it up so that when we do repent and turn around, we turn to him. We turn to him. I said back in the beginning, 20 minutes ago or something, that Jesus was going to peel back the layers until what's left is a problem that only he could solve. And well, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. He's peeled back the layers until what's left is the reality of the human condition. He's shining a spotlight on the brokenness that exists in our own hearts. And it's awfully bad news. It's a problem that only he can solve without bad news. And the news for you and for me is in fact bad because we're all guilty. We're all bearing fruit every day of hearts that are far from God. Without bad news, there can be no good news. Just as there is bad news that we have followed the devices and desires of our own hearts, friends, there is good news. Can I take a moment and share a little good news? Jesus himself is the good news. Jesus is the one who promises to give us a new heart. He's the one who promises to send us his spirit, which bears the sort of fruit in us that marks us as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is the one who will go to a cross bearing the consequences of our sin that we might not have to. And on that cross, exchange our broken hearts for a new heart. And Jesus is the one who doesn't stay dead in sin, but deals with it puts death itself to death. And on the third day rose again that we might have newness of life. And so we give to Jesus our desperately broken hearts. We bring to him all of our guilt and all of our shame, trusting that he and only he can transform the mess of our lives and our church and our world. That only he can give us new hearts that we might bear a different sort of fruit for our good and for his glory. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that you don't just gloss over the condition of our own hearts and our world, but that you shine a light on it. Gracious God, thank you that you don't leave us in our sin, but that you sent your Son who took on flesh, living, dwelling among us, bearing Himself, the weight of our sin that we might have new life. And I pray God now that by the power of your spirit that you would fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who was and is and is to come the one who has dealt with our sin and even still is dealing with our brokenness making us new. Fix our eyes on him. And it's through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.